evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. We are in 2 Timothy chapter 4 tonight. Uh, really one of the high peaks of the scriptures, in my view. Most every Sunday morning before I come to preach, I read this text. I also read 1 Peter chapter 4, certain verses there. But uh, wow, what a, what a great text this is, certainly for uh, those who are responsible to uh, minister the word. Uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our study together. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble, to study the word. Pray that you would bless our time in the word. And uh, thank you for uh, the Holy Spirit uh, speaking through the word and uh, emphasizing those things you want brought out. Pray that you would uh, use the ministry of the word in the youth group, Awana Ministries as well. Thank you for all the workers. Bless them. May they serve with joy. And uh, pray for the, the seed of the word to to go forth and to go into hearts and bear fruit tonight. We commit our time in the word now to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, the theme here, uh, you note uh, the theme here is, uh, we're in uh, 2 Timothy, uh, loyalty, a good soldier of Jesus Christ, and we've worked our way down to chapter 4 here, charged to preach the word and fulfill, fulfill your ministry. We are in the context of a spiritual war as God's people. And what kind of a war is it? It's a truth war. It's a truth war. That's, that's what it's about. The devil is trying to deceive the world, and we are bringing the truth to the world. So we're really involved in a truth war. And Paul, as he writes his last letter, is emphasizing the importance of being faithful in the truth war. Let the word of God go forth. And he warns Timothy that in the last days, uh, there's going to be a tremendous time hi, of apostasy, and, uh, which is a departure from the faith. But in that context, he uh, really underscores with Timothy all sufficiency of the Scripture. He's able to show you what you need to know to be saved. He's able to fully equip you for every good work that God wants you to do. And so uh, that leads to the charge we here have now in chapter 4. Uh, apostasy coming in the last days, you have a sufficient word, and now the charge. Who wants to read verses, uh, chapter 4, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Who wants to read that? Okay, Jay. Okay, thank you very much. So, um, I charge you, he says. Uh, this is a sense of being under oath. He's like, I'm, I'm putting you under oath. I'm charging you. It's a solemn, a solemn charge, a, a, a solemn obligation. Before God, you're responsible for this. And that's the idea. I charge you. So you the tone here is solemn. It's uh, strong. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like God is watching. His gaze is upon you. And uh, note, uh, he says, uh, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it could be taken as before God the Father and before the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as representing the two members of the Godhead, emphasizing uh, before both of these members of the Godhead. Or it could be translated before God, even the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so John MacArthur says the Greek construction allows the translation in the presence of God, even Christ Jesus, which is probably the best rendering since he is about to be introduced as the judge. Uh, so uh, that is Jesus Christ uh, related to his appearing in his kingdom, right? Uh, since he is about to be introduced as the judge, grammatically it could go either way. It probably seems to be emphasizing Jesus Christ as the Lord who is the judge. Um, so uh, note here, um, let's see here. Jesus is the judge. Uh, John 5.22, the father judges no one. Interesting statement but has committed all judgment to the Son. So who's rendering judgment? Well, technically it's God the Son. God's given that to the Son to do, to, to judge. He judges all. He says, the Father doesn't judge anyway. He's given that to me. My role is judge. And so that also figures in here. Acts 10, 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Well, that figures in large in terms of what we're talking about as we go now into verse uh, 2 here. Actually, verse, verse 1 yet there. Uh, I charge you, therefore, before God and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, really, again, probably would lean towards we're talking about Jesus since all judgments committed to him uh, who is God. And uh, what's he going to do? Who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom? Now, I think this reflects a series of judgments. He's making kind of a broad statement here. Jesus is the judge of all, and there's going to be a series of judgments related to his appearing and his kingdom. Uh, he's going to judge the living and the dead. Um, it's going to be a judgment of both. And uh, note, uh, at his appearing, uh, the, the word appearing min, means uh, to shine forth, literally, a shining forth. Uh, his glorious appearing is the idea. And uh, again, this word appearing is used in conjunction with a number of things, as I say here. The uh, same word appearing is used in reference to Christ's first coming, in reference to the rapture, also in reference to Christ's second coming. So it's used in a variety of different ways, this uh, particular word. This exact word is used only by Paul, and the majority of the time he uses it, uh, he does so in reference to the rapture. So mostly it's used in reference to the rapture, but not only, Okay. So uh, what are we talking about? I'd say in, in, in the context here, as it's set off against the kingdom, probably talking about the rapture and, and the, the time of his second coming at, at, at the kingdom uh, when he comes to set up his kingdom here. Uh, we uh, who are alive, we're going to be, some of us are going to be living when he comes. I, I'm volunteering, right? I'm volunteering. Uh, not that I have any say in the matter whatsoever. But uh, at the rapture, which is a church-only event, and the next major event on God's prophetic calendar, Jesus will judge the living and the dead. Uh, this language of the living and the dead is also found in 1 Thessalonians 4. We saw it also in Acts 10 there. But uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, voice of an archangel, trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. I bring that up just to show we have the dead represented here, as well as the living. And uh, note that language of the living and, and the dead here, as we have it right here in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He's going to judge the living and the dead at his appearing. I take it, uh, you know, we're talking about the rapture here in terms of that first emphasis, his appearing. And uh, what's going to happen when Christ comes at the rapture? Well, we're going to be, the, the dead are going to, 
be resurrected. We who are living are going to be transformed. We're going to be caught up together uh, to meet the Lord in the air. And then what's going to happen? Well, I take it really in pretty short succession we're talking uh, the judgment. Uh, the, these believers, the living and the dead, will be, then be ushered back to heaven where we will go before the judgment seat of Christ, as seen in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Notice what Paul says there. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, literally the Bema seat. Uh, this is the issue of rewards here. Uh, this is not a judgment of sin. It's a quality of service. How did you serve and, and what are, what are you going to get as far as your reward? This is all about rewards here. Um, and then he says uh, here that each one may receive the things done in the body. This is what we did in our, in our body uh, in, in this life. According to what he has done, whether good or bad. Quality here. Was it good quality or was it bad quality? You're going to be rewarded accordingly. Uh, so this is a judgment that concerned Timothy and that one concerns all of us in the church age. I take that's really what we're talking about when it says he will judge the living and the dead at his appearing. Uh, his appearing in terms of the rapture, which is the most common usage uh, for this word. Again, not exclusively, but the most common usage uh, for this word appearing relates to the rapture. And then his kingdom. You know, when Christ comes at his second coming to set up the kingdom, there's going to be some judgments involved there as well. We know that at the second coming, Christ will judge the living who survived the tribulation period. As seen in Matthew 25, Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats with only the sheep going into the kingdom. Then at the end of the millennial kingdom, in connection with the kingdom here yet, Jesus will judge the dead unbelievers at the great white throne judgment as seen in Revelation 20. So it would appear that Paul is speaking generally of a series of coming judgments related to the rapture and the time of the kingdom. And uh, there's in both connections, the relationship to the, uh, uh, we also have the resurrection of the Old Testament saints, I believe, at the second coming, the judgment of the dead in that sense, and, and what their part's going to be in the kingdom as well. So there's a number of over uh, layers here involved here uh, related to the judging of the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Uh, let me diagram it for you here. Uh, I don't know if you can see this real well. Those of you who sat up front, which I'm trying to do things to lure you up here, you know, <laughs> trying to draw you in. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're living in the church age. We do believe uh, that the rapture is the next event on God's prophetic calendar. And this, we're going to be caught up. We're going to meet the Lord. We're, we're going to go before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. Uh, the Bema seat uh, was, uh, in Paul's day, the Bema seat was where the, the judges at an athletic event sat. And at the end of the events, uh, those who were going to receive a, uh, a crown, uh, an, an award for what they did in the games, they would appear before the Bema seat and they would receive their, their crown or the reward there. Uh, this is applied then to uh, the believers and, and the rewards that we will receive. Uh, so that's it. Uh, there's going to be a judgment relationship to the rapture. Then at the second coming, uh, you have the judgment of... Uh, uh, the sheep and the goats, as I say, and, for, and the Old Testament saints are going to be resurrected and uh, receive their reward. Uh, at the end of the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ, we have the great white throne judgment. Uh, you know, those uh, who are going to be judged as far as uh, the lost are going to be judged at that time there. So anyway, uh, just an overview in, in terms of the diagram there. Okay. Um, all right, end of verse 1 there. Any other thoughts? Okay, yes, Greg. On the, on the body, is that the physical? 
in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10? Yes. Uh, let me go back there. Okay, if I can do this, maybe. No, I'm going ahead, aren't I? Let's go back. There it is. Uh, here, what he's talking about, I believe, Greg, he's talking about what each person, each one, may receive the things done in the body. In other words, what they did in their physical bodies in terms of serving the Lord is going to be evaluated here, is going to be judged. And it's each particular one. Uh, we must all individually appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one personally may receive the things that, which he did in his body, which done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So I think this is personal evaluation time in terms of what you have personally done. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if I... There we go. Thank you for assistance from on high. Appreciate it. All right. He's a good man. All right. Uh, he continues here then and says... Uh, in light of this, you know, boy, I take this personally. If, if there's ever a verse I take personally, it's this one. Uh, preach the word. I charge you. It's going to be a judgment at the appearing of Christ. And uh, in light of that, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, re exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Uh, we have five military-like imperatives here. And the first one, and really everything flows out of this one in a sense. Preach the word. Preach the word. Uh, preach the all-sufficient word. He's just emphasized it's all-sufficient uh, to show us everything we need to know to be saved. In 2 Timothy 3.15, uh, it's able to fully equip us for every good work. Uh, preach the word. It's all-sufficient. Notice he didn't say preach about the word, uh, but preach the word. Uh, give the word of God, the message that God has given to us. And uh, this is another great verse. This is the other place I read on Sunday morning. This is one of the verses. Uh, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. What are the oracles of God? If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. The oracles are the utterances of God. Uh, speak as if God is speaking. Let uh, me speak as the oracles of God. Speak with that authority because it's not my message. It's God's message. So relay it as this is coming from God. Uh, this is a message from God. He says, if anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified. So that, that's the goal here. But again, preach the word. Preach the word with authority. Uh, pre to preach means to proclaim. It's really uh, one of those words that was used uh, if you're making an announcement uh, for the king. You're representing someone with authority, uh, in authority, with authority. Uh, it's that idea. Preach the word. Uh, Paul said in Acts chapter 20, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Boy, he's considering himself pretty accountable. But he says, I'm innocent. Why? For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't hold back anything. I told you everything God wanted me to tell you. I preached the whole council. That's why you can't hold me and say, well, boy, you really, you're really you accountable because you didn't give it. No, you gave us the whole package. You gave us the whole council. And therefore, he says, I'm, I'm innocent. Um, God is going to judge. Uh, I often talk about preaching as to an audience of one. Um, you know, I say that, and I hope it's true because that's where I want to be. <laughs> I don't care what people think. 
uh, yet, you know, you, we still have the flesh here. It's like, how, how true is that? You know, if, if nobody ever told me I appreciate your message, you know, I might look around and say, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> so we do need encouragement too, right? Even though we're preaching for an audience of one, uh, that's what I'm saying. If we're in, But uh, here in uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself. Approved to God, and that's where we want to be. It's what God's going to say. Approve to God. I mean, where God says, I approve that. Well done, thou good and faithful preacher. I hope to hear that someday. I don't know. You know, sometimes it's interesting. I watch these old guys fall off the rails. They're good men, and they get off the... Sometimes old guys do crazy things. It's crazy. I don't want to be one of those guys. <laughs> Pray for me. Uh, be diligent to present yourself a, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. What? what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, presenting the word accurately. Making those divisions of Scripture accurately. Cutting it right. Getting it straight. So uh, preach the word. And then he says, how often should you be ready? Well, once in a while, right? No, 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 no. That's not what he says. Uh, be ready. In season and out of season. You know, they, uh, when I was just a young preacher, somebody told me, it was in another church where I started preaching, they said, you need to be ready to preach, pray, or die on a moment's notice. <laughs> I said, that's true. I guess that's right. Preach, pray, or die on a moment's notice. Be ready. Uh, yeah, we need to be ready to preach the word. Uh, in season, you never know. Uh, you know, I was at, a, one time I went to a funeral, it was on a Monday morning. You know what I'm doing on Monday morning? <clears throat> I'm really not in my total right mind on Monday morning usually. I'm recovering from Sunday, right? I'm usually very tired. I like to sleep in. This was a, well, not, not that way this Monday morning because it was a funeral I was going to, right? And the, the guy who was supposed to do the funeral didn't show up. And so all of a sudden, the family's kind of looking back towards me because they knew me. And uh, Janie said, they're looking back towards you. And I said, oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> So somebody came and said, you know, our, our guy didn't show up. Could you lead the service? Be ready to preach. <laughs> ready to preach in season. It was in season. <laughs> it's time to preach. And really what's interesting, as I preached, I went to, just uh, you go to what you know, right? I went to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you know, great text to, to preach at a funeral. And somebody came up to me afterwards, it was in our church, and said, I want you to preach that exact same message at my funeral. <laughs> anyway, God used it. But uh, praise the Lord. Be ready uh, in season and out of season. You know, in season is when people want to hear it. Out of season is when they don't want to hear it. Uh, in season when it's favorable. You know, there's sometimes the boy, you just have a great situation. People are hungry for the word. And uh, there's other times, no, we don't really want to hear this message. It's not in a favorable time. Uh, in season is when the, when the response is great. Out of season is when it's not great. People are not responding. You know, my job is not whether people are responding or not. It's just give the word. Whether it's well received or whether it isn't, just to be faithful to the word. And, and you don't know how, how it's going to be. I remember when I preached on a, a, a sin unto death one time in 1 John chapter 5. It's, you know, it's, it's really a favorite text, but I'm just teasing. But, but anyway, I got done with that message, and uh, it was not totally well received. We had a family that leave the church. And one of the reasons, they left the church because they had a daughter who's unsaved who was visiting that day, and she said, if you keep going to that church, 
I will not allow you to see my granddaughter anymore. Uh, something like that. So they left the church. Really godly, wonderful people. Loved them. They loved us. So they loved my ministry. But the pressure was on. Another lady said to me on the way, you could have used a little sugar in the message today. And I was thinking, how do you preach on a sin and a death in a sugary way? I'm kind of curious to how you can do that. It was the text, you know, and, you know, I'm sure, you know, as, you know, we're all human. I always think, well, maybe I could have done better. You know, you start questioning yourself. I always ask myself, did I preach the word? Well, I did the best I, to my ability. I leave it there. I preach it to an audience of one. In season, out of season. Be ready. Uh, preach the word. Be ready. Be ready. Uh, you know, I think in terms of application, we should be ready. All the time as far as, uh, he'll say, do the work of an evangelist here down in verse 5. You need to be ready. You know, how often do I get caught off guard? I really wasn't ready in that situation. Goodness, there was an opportunity there. It just seemed to kind of pass me by. I wasn't ready. Uh, it's good exhortation, good application. Be ready, in season, out of season. And then he says convince. Uh, the word convince, uh, the same word is translated uh, convict. Uh, the Spirit convicts the world of, of sin, righteousness, and judgment in John uh, 16, uh, 16, 18. This is, this is the, that word. It's the idea of convict, uh, sometimes uh, translated reprove, but it's that idea of conviction. Uh, the word should convict, right? It doesn't always make you feel good. Sometimes it's like, oh, man, that's, that's conviction. And sometimes, a lot of times I've had this happen where people come and say, you know, it seemed like you were just preaching to me. It's like, well, don't blame me. The Holy Spirit's working. Uh, if you're under conviction, uh, convict, uh, rebuke, rebuke. You know what? The, the word rebuke is a, it's kind of a stinging word, kind of make it like a snap you with a whip or something. It's kind of, it rebukes you. It, it stings. Uh, it's that idea of censure. Uh, to place blame, and, and there's sometimes uh, we, we need that. You know, this is when uh, Nathan showed up, and he's teaching this little parable to David, and David's getting all upset about it, and he says, you are the man. You know what that is? That's rebuke. That's rebuke. It's stung. It's what David needed uh, to hear. Uh, convince, bring about, use the word to bring about conviction, rebuke. But then there's the other side, exhort, which is the idea of encouragement. This is a soft, the softer side. This, this is comfort. And, you know, we need both, right? We need both. Uh, you know, if you, all you do is just uh, beat people and rebuke people and it's, there's no softer side, I mean, that's not balanced. There's a balance here. You know, they say that uh, we, ought, we ought to preach to uh, afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. And there is both in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's sometimes we need a good kick in the pants. There's sometimes we need, we need encouragement. Uh, we need the soft side. We need the, the, the uh, exhortation. Uh, convince, uh, rebuke, exhort, and how to do it. How to do it. All long-suffering. Not just a little bit. All long-suffering and teaching. They go together. Uh, you know what long-suffering is? Great patience. Not a little patience. Great patience. Uh, do this with, with great patience. Meaning, you know, you're going to have to do this over and over. And, you know, I sometimes joke in terms of ministry. You know we're working with people here, right? 
<laughs> and, you know, people need patience. I need patience. You need we, People need patience. Uh, we're sheep. Uh, people are sheep. And you need patience when you work with sheep. It's, and this is the idea. It's maybe going to be a while. You know, it's like, boy, one time and you got it. That's it. Boy, just really sharp. <laughs> Not too often. Long suffering. Patience. Great patience. But notice also, I think this is the combination here is very important. And teaching. And teaching. You don't just uh, beat people over the head with the truth. You explain it. There's teaching involved. And there's time involved. There's patience involved. Uh, you explain it uh, patiently. Anyway, I think this is how you don't argue them. You don't just try to force people. You, you help them to get it. Little by little is the idea here. It's going to require patience. It's going to require, um, you know, long-suffering is the idea, too. Or you don't just dump the whole thing on them and, and say, well, hey, you should get it. I just dumped it all on you. No, probably little by little working with them, slowly, carefully, over time, involving all kinds of things. Times to, a time to bring conviction, time to rebuke, time to encourage, uh, little by little, uh, with all long-suffering and, and teaching. Okay, um, all right, any other thoughts there? It's a hard job. You know what? It's an impossible job. Who is sufficient for these things, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? Uh, nobody, but, but God has made us sufficient by his spirit. Uh, I really think it's the spirit that's sufficient for the job, not, not us. And if we preach the word, the spirit does his work. So not that he doesn't use, you know, there's human responsibility here too, like we, we see in all long suffering. All right, let's have somebody read verses uh, 3 and 4. Who wants to read that? 3 and 4. Yeah, Jeff? Okay, thank you. So notice, uh, he has just said uh, how you are to minister the word. Involves lots of things, uh, kind of strong and soft and uh, long-suffering. And then he says, for the time will come uh, when they're not going to endure. You know, I, I think we're in those times right now. Uh, the time will come when there's going to be a time of apostasy. They don't want to hear the, the word. You need to keep preaching the word. You need to keep working with people. And you're probably going to have a mixture of all kinds of things in the last days in the church. You have true believers. You have confused believers. You have those sincere, those that are green, immature, carnal. You have a whole bunch of things in the mix. Great patience. You're working with people here. All kinds of things in the mix. And, uh, you know, the time will come when they will not endure something. They won't put up with it. They're not going to want to hear that. Uh, you know, I think about Noah. Noah preached for 120 years. Did he have revival? <clears throat> well, his own family was a little stirring. <laughs> At least the family got on the boat, right? Uh, I mean, Noah didn't say, I was total lost. Even the wife didn't get on the boat. It's just me and the animals. <laughs> no, 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 no. His wife was there. He had the three sons and their wives. Praise the Lord that they had a family on the boat anyway. 
somebody responded in the sense that they at least got on the boat, for crying out loud. But boy, he was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says. There wasn't a lot of response. Kind of out of season, right? Out of season. You know, why do you keep preaching? These people aren't listening anyway. Uh, well, that's the job of the preacher. You just keep preaching. In season, out of season. But notice, uh, hard times are coming. You're going to require a lot of patience. Uh, the time will come when they, and, and we believe that they here is professing, professing Christians. Uh, you know, this is a context of a, a professing a church. We saw back in chapter 3, uh, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. Um, but the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Uh, sound is the idea of healthy, healthy teaching. That which is solid and straightforward. It lines up with truth, with the word of God. Uh, they're not going to endure that sound doctrine. They have no appetite for it. They're not going to tolerate it. They don't want to put up with wholesome words. The idea of sound is wholesome, that which is good for you. They really want that. They want the fluff. Give me the, you know, the, the chocolates. Uh, give me the, the candy. <laughs> I don't want the solid food, you know. I'm not into that. Uh, they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, uh, they really want what uh, is according to what makes them feel good. Their own desires, their own lusts, this could be translated here. Uh, Tim LaHaye says, Thus there will come a time when the majority within the church will not support the teaching of sound or healthy doctrine. I think that's true in terms of Christendom today. You know, where do you find the solid Bible? There are some, praise the Lord. Uh, there is a... A representation. There is a remnant, but you know, there's so much uh, false teaching. And people don't want to hear the, the sound doctrine. Uh, according to their own desires, means they say, Tell us what we want to hear. T tell us what makes us feel good, right? We want a feel good experience when we go to church. Uh, throw out the conviction. And certainly no rebuke, right? We don't want any of that. We will accept exhortation, that is, encouragement. <laughs> we want positive encouraging all the time, none of that other stuff at all. According to their own desires, their, their own lusts here, the idea is fleshy desires. You know what? They want, they want a really a man-centered message that caters to their ego, that uh, caters to their, um, their own uh, desires, uh, what makes them feel good. They want pleasant. They don't want repentance. And it says, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Uh, they have itching ears, you know. Uh, we have an itch. Would you please scratch it, Pastor? Uh, scratch it right behind the ear, right, you know, so it makes me feel good. I'm looking for a feel-good uh, scratch here. Uh, Costy Hinn, nephew of Benny Hinn, real convert, strong believer, has become a pastor now, but... Uh, this is the beginning of a quote. Uh, For the past 40 years, seeker-driven churches dominated the Christian landscape in America. That's true. I mean, it's well entrenched. A seeker-driven church is one that targets the interests of people who don't have an interest in church. Or we might say, or God. Let's go to the Philistines. Let's go to the Canaanites and say, what would you guys like in a church? Let's make it acceptable for you, where you feel comfortable here. That's what has happened. They don't, they don't have an interest in church, really God. 
Uh, for the seeker-driven church, entertaining Broadway-style shows all but replaced the sermon. And secular music was played in worship to make the non-Christians feel more comfortable. Seeker churches didn't talk about sin, repentance, or tough times. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we don't want to go there. They won't come back for crying out loud. And that, you know, we would not be doing a great work for the kingdom, right? The people are not showing up. It's killing us. We need to do something that's acceptable. He continues, hard truth, no matter how lovingly it was presented, was bad for business. A softer gospel meant for softer messages. You know, the tone is very important here. Everything was geared toward making people feel good. As a result, churches exploded with record attendance. People loved the seeker-driven Jesus because he was so easy to follow and offered a golden ticket to heaven. I mean, this is good. <laughs> they thought, was it? Well, I think we're fulfilling what, they, what it says here. Uh, they won't endure sound doctrine, uh, but they are insisting on what makes them feel good according to their own desires. They have itching ears, and they heap up for themselves teachers. Uh, another, uh, I guess it might be me here speaking. One popular book for pastors even suggests that in the current political climate, the worst possible way to start a sermon is by telling people to open their Bibles. You know who this is, by the way, don't you? Uh, some of you do. The lead pastor in one of the largest churches in America recently suggested that Christians should stop saying the Bible says. After all, he said, it's an ancient text, and most people today don't take it seriously. So, I mean, you lose all credibility when you say the Bible says. Why would Andy Stanley say this? That's a terrible thing to say. He's the same guy who says we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. I mean, that stuffy old, you know, book back there. And let's be very accepting of homosexuals and, you know, where they're coming from. And let's, you know, let's talk here. Anyway, craziness. Um, John MacArthur, the trend is toward topical messages focused on timely issues, human relationships, success, and self-help, recovery from addictions, or even more lightweight themes. The preaching of God's word has never been more out of season or out of style. Yeah, I think that's where we are. Uh, you know what he's describing here is really out of season. Out of season. They don't want to endure sound doctrine. It's out of season. We don't want to hear the word. Uh, we want to hear something that uh, caters to our desires. What makes us feel good. And so they have itching ears. And uh, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Um, note uh, they will heap up for themselves teachers. The idea of heap up is piles, just piles of these teachers around. <laughs> uh, telling them what they want to hear. Uh, you know, and it's interesting here, we usually hammer the false teachers, and we do do that, and we have done a lot of that. But you know the interesting thing here is, this is talking about the congregation. Uh, they will heap up for themselves teachers. You know, there's so many false teachers, you know why? They have an audience. They have an audience. I like this uh, little picture here, I don't know if you can see it or not, but uh, false teachers, the only thing holding them up are the people who support them. You know, these people should get off, right? And then he goes down. Uh, so really the emphasis here is you've got a whole uh, mass of people that are really supporting what the false teacher is saying. That's why they're able to continue. It's profitable for them. They do well in this role of false teacher, uh, financially or whatever. 
Um, okay, uh, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn away their ears from the truth. Here's the problem. There's a deliberate turning away. It's willful. They will turn their ears away from the truth. Uh, we have this word uh, truth is the, is the issue here. Uh, the word truth is found six times in this book. For Paul, the spiritual battle was all about the truth. God's truth is found in the scriptures. As I say, this is a truth war, and they will turn away their ears from the truth. Well, what should we do about that? Preach the word. Be in season, in season, out of season. You continue to preach the word. I don't know anything else to do. Uh, I was talking to a pastor recently, and somebody was saying, we really want you to write down your philosophy of ministry. This guy's been in the ministry for a long time. I said, well, I know what your uh, philosophy of ministry is. I know you well enough. What's that? Preach the word. That's, that's what we do. Uh, that's really what we do. You say, I want something else. Mm, sorry. Uh, they will turn away their ears from the truth. This is the problem. Uh, what is the truth, do you suppose? Let's start with the gospel truth, okay? Uh, how about uh, creation truth? Yeah, let's go with that too, huh? Let's, let's start with Genesis 1, shall we? Or should we start a little later? You know, like after the flood maybe even. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe Genesis 12. I'm not so sure we should start with Genesis 1 through 11. I'm being facetious. We start with Genesis 1. Uh, yeah. Uh, how about uh, issues related to, um, should we say, sexuality? Uh, you know, like uh, a man and a woman? In marriage, uh, and we could even talk about what is a man and what is a woman. <laughs> it's crazy. There's all kinds of things that enter in here. They will stray away from the truth uh, related to morality, related to the role of men and women. You know, nobody takes this seriously anymore, right? I mean, even though the Bible spe specifically speaks to these issues. They will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You know what's interesting? They do want something, right? It doesn't say they, they will turn away their ears from the truth and, and, be turned, and turn away to nothing. No, no. They, they, they turn to substitutes. They turn aside to fables. By the way, the, this word turned uh, means to turn or twist out. It's used of a limb that is out of joint, a painful situation. Spiritually, they are out of joint. And uh, be turned aside to fables. You know what fables are? Fables are stories. Stories. Do you know you can make a living on uh, some of these TV programs telling stories? Let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you about my vision. Let me tell you about this miracle. Let me, story, story, story. Everything but the word. Well, it's just in the word. That, that, you know, stuffy old book. Tell me a story. Fables. You know, Benny Hinn went on. Uh, one of those television shows years ago, and he said, you know, I, 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 I have discovered there's nine persons in the Trinity, not three. It's like, are you kidding me? They didn't take him off the air. He continued to preach. It's craziness. Fables, turn aside to fables. Uh, got a quote here. This is uh, Steve Batiste. Uh, we hear the argument again and again. We have to give the people what they like or what makes them feel good. Such an attitude with influence and depth and seriousness of Scripture and understanding of sin. Uh, the churches become Christian clubs where you participate in what is fun or pleasurable. 
Christians who resist it are branded legalistic, right? It's like, do we even know what we mean? You're so legalistic. And maybe. I mean, there is such a thing as a serious <laughs> error called legalism. But they like to throw that out. Branded legalistic, conservative, or fanatical and are despised. The Bible is being pushed further and further to the sidelines by many Christians and churches. New fashions, trends, or teachings are in demand. Yeah, afraid that is very true. Uh, this is Harold Vaughn. If you don't know Harold Vaughn, he says a lot of great things. Uh, we're at a point in Christianity where people don't care if you can back it up with the Bible. Their feelings, desires, emotions override what Scripture says. They don't follow Christ, they follow self. And that's where we are. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. Doesn't matter if you can defend, oh, this is sound doctrine. No, no, no. I, I don't feel that. It's, it's according to what I feel. Uh, turn aside to fables. Okay, any thoughts there before we press on? Yeah, yeah Albert. All, of, you know, all, all it takes is, is just one, one word of compromise with, with the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think when it talks about, uh, you know, the time will come, there's so many voices out here now. I mean, people don't know what to think. I run into people all the time, and if they come from a context in a church where they haven't been fed well, they haven't been taught, they don't know what to think. All of a sudden, now, even though I'm teaching sound doctrine, well, you're just one more voice. I've heard this over here, and I've heard this over here, and, and they're trying to put it all together without a, a deep understanding of the Scripture. And it's a mess out here. That's what we're dealing with. It requires long patience and teaching. <laughs> yeah, Dwayne? Oh, I do too. <laughs> well, Maybe LaHaye wants to revise that a little bit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, I... Yeah. You know, I'm putting this in connection. You know, we don't have the chapter divisions as Paul originally gave it. I'm going back to chapter 3, verse 5, where they have a form of godliness but denying his power. So I think there's still a huge amount of people that hold to Christendom. They have a form of it, but they're not really in sync with the truth yeah so yeah i'm seeing that church word in the broad sense of the word christendom really here um so and what do you do i mean obviously timothy where's he preaching he's preaching largely in the context of of the church right i mean that's where timothy's ministry largely was and paul is saying hey in season out of season uh, even in that context at some point you know they will not endure sound doctrine so yeah uh, okay, uh, let's have somebody, is there anybody else? I don't want to leave anybody out. Let's have somebody read verse 5. Who wants to read that? Verse 5? Yes, Levita. We'll, we'll take Levita. Okay. So, uh, but is a contrast word, right? In contrast to what's going on there, uh, you be watchful in all things. Uh, watchful is literally sober. It's the idea of being alert or vigilant, spiritually vigilant. Be, be watchful in all things. You need to be watching uh, all the time. 
air is creeping in here. There's air here. Uh, we need to be alert uh, to it. Don't be naive thinking, oh, well, you know, it's okay. Uh, no, be alert. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. You know, it's not going to be easy. In fact, in every chapter in 2 Timothy, he emphasizes the issue of hardship. Uh, prepare for hardship. 1, 8, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. 2, 3, endure hardship as a good soldier. 3, 12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. 4, 5, endure afflictions. You sure you want to continue on? <laughs> endure afflictions. It's part of our calling. Don't expect it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard things here, Timothy. Endure afflictions. Endure it. Keep on keeping on. And then he says, do the work of an evangelist. I don't think Timothy was necessarily a gifted evangelist. He says, do the work of an evangelist. Uh, you know, we need to be involved in the work, uh, consistently giving out the gospel, intentionally giving out the gospel, do the work of an evangelist. What, what, what is the work of an evangelist? Well, he's working at getting out the gospel. Uh, that's the idea. And then he says, fulfill your ministry. The idea is fulfill completely. Uh, carry through to the end. Fulfill your ministry. Don't quit. I think there's tremendous pressure uh, to compromise, to say, hey, I've had enough of this. This is nothing but hardship all the time. Uh, I, I want to take it easy here. <laughs> Looking for a relief point here. Uh, you know, there is temptation to quit. Um, Archippus, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. You know, if you received a ministry in the Lord, you probably want to fulfill it, right? Yeah, you do. That's what the exhortation is. I, and this is why I preach to this. This is a, a quote I had in there. I must say that one of the most staggering things in essence has ever been said to me is that the time for you to quit is now. Uh, for a man called by God to the gospel ministry, that was jarring for me. My response was, it would be sin for me to quit. And, and that's how I feel. You know, in, who put me in the ministry here? Well, my master, who's in charge here? My master, and, and believe me, I am willing to quit any time the master wants me to quit. It's not like I said, well, I just got to insist on my role here. I don't feel that way. I've never felt that way. I am more than happy to walk away if the Lord wants me to. But if a person who wants to play God says to me, you know, it's time for you to quit, you better make sure you have had a revelation from God, <laughs> which I don't believe in. But, uh, you know, fulfill your ministry. Complete it. What God's given you to do. It's really not up for me or, or anybody else if God's given you a ministry to say, well, I'm done. Who are we? I mean, Christ puts us in the church. He gives us the role that we have. Uh, we serve at his pleasure. Uh, we serve where we are as long as, as uh, he wants us there, the role that he has given to us. The great thrust of Paul's last inspired words to Timothy were preach the word, fulfill your ministry. Rings in my ears day in and day out. This admonition is set in the context of emphasizing the all-sufficiency of Scripture and against the backdrop of growing apostasy. What is a man of God to do? Preach the word. Fulfill your ministry. God says, stay by the stuff, stay by the word, stay faithful. I want to end with this because uh, I really like this, this visual. I don't know if you can see it or not. Uh, the anvil of God's word. Uh, you got all these hammers, you know, they're broken. 
Uh, they've been beating on the anvil for a long time. But they're, but they're all broken. The Bible still stands. Uh, the, the word of our God shall stand forever. Uh, praise the Lord. Uh, it is the rock. And so we just keep preaching the word. Uh, it, at the end of the day, I think, is what's going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, as my ministry is evaluated, what's going to stand is the word-based ministry. Everything else is going to be uh, go up in smoke, uh, wood, hay, and straw. It all goes up. But uh, I want to be faithful to the word, and I know you do as well. That's what it's all about. All right, any other thoughts as we finish out? Okay, very good. Let's stop there since it's 7.30. And not only that, we're out of text. <laughs> okay, anybody need a prayer sheet? <laughs>